The median net worth in the United States by age 50 is $178,000. We are in a financial crisis, a retirement crisis, and a student loan crisis. Our next guest has spent decades working with families on solving their income and wealth building problems. Coming up next on the Student of Money podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Student of Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to help listeners like you join a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and personal development. This is episode 41. I am thrilled to have on the podcast this week a two-time TED Talk speaker with over 6 million views, an author of three Amazon bestsellers, and an internationally recognized speaker and financial expert, Adam Carroll. Adam is the host of the Build a Bigger Life podcast and the founder of The Shred Method. The interview is right about one hour, but the knowledge on wealth building and mindset are priceless. When Adam speaks, you want to listen, so let's get into it. Adam Carroll, welcome to the podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for having me, a fellow student of money. I'm excited to be on your show today. Yeah, well, the honor's all mine. I'm really excited to have you on my show. Um, we've been trying to get this organized for a couple of weeks now, and I'm glad this all came together and I was able to get you on. Uh, yeah, originally, you know, you're in Des Moines, which shocked me. And, um, you know, I, we wanted to have this face to face and it just didn't work out. So we're doing it over Zoom. So, uh, you know, for the people that don't, aren't familiar with you and don't know you, can you just give me a little bit of background and tell me your story a little bit? Yeah. Well, how people may know me, or if they don't know me, they could know me is I've made my living as a professional speaker for the last 15 to 20 years. And, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I always kind of dub myself a mediapreneur, much like you are mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, I, I love writing books. I love creating videos. Um, you know, I did a documentary on student loan debt that aired on CNBC. That was an interesting business that we ran for a few years. Um, but you know, today by and large, Jeff, I, I consider myself an educator and whether that means I'm educating through a podcast or on video or in person, it's really about teaching for me. And, um, I love what I do. I haven't worked a day in 15 years. Uh, maybe there's a couple days that felt like work, but for the, for the most part, they don't feel like work anymore. And, um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to teach people how to, how to build a bigger life for themselves. Um, I think most people are building big lifestyles and as a result, their life feels very small. And so my goal is to help them change that trend and build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. Yes, you've got, you're the host of the Build a Bigger Life podcast, which I've been binge watching over the last few days and weeks to really, uh, and you're at episode 170, 180, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so we're in the 170s for sure. You, you've been doing this a while yeah. and, and I really want to maybe get some insight on what you've learned from your guests after having mm. that many people. That's got to be awesome. It is awesome. It, you know, it's... It, my dad at one point said, this is a really cool body of work for your kids and grandkids to someday listen to. And, and I would say the same for you, you know, someday this will be something that 
future generations will take in and and really pay attention to. For me, what I've learned from the guests, uh, you know, the majority of them, when I ask them the very first question, what do you love about your life right now? Many of them will say, oh, the freedom and flexibility to do X, whatever, you know, their thing is. And for me, that's, that's central to why I do what I do is just being able to control my own time. And um, so learning from other people, what they do, how they've done it has been instrumental in building the business that I have today. Yeah. As I was listening to your podcast and they all say, you know, you start the show with that question. I was at, you know, answering that myself in my mind. And that was my answer is that total freedom to when you wake up in the morning, I get to decide what I do with that day. Mm. And, and I'm working really hard and I'm running hard, but I'm doing it, uh, you know, on my own free will. I'm not forced yeah. into it. I don't have to do it. And that's, and that's the benefit. Um, I almost make, I just thought of this analogy. I, I spent 13 years in the Marine Corps Reserve out of, in Waterloo, Iowa, and yep. um, uh, went to Desert Storm and all that. And, and, of course, a lot of people don't make it past their first contract in the military and three, four years, whatever it may be. And, and big, they're all like, oh, I'm getting out. As soon as my contract comes up, I'm getting out, I'm getting out. And sometimes what happens is, is when their contract starts to come up, they're like, you know, I really don't have to be here anymore. If I want to leave, I can just leave. You have that freedom to do that. So a lot of people will stay and sign a new contract Interesting. Just because they have options. They have choices. They can go anytime they want. Yes. It, it's that freedom. That's what's important to them. Yes. That they can move on at any time and they don't have to be there. They're, they're, they're of their own free will. It's such a good point too. And I think if there are W2 employees listening and it feels like you're stuck in your job, you know, and, and I've met a lot of people who will say, well, I, you know, I, I don't love this job, but the pay is good or the benefits good or the, the you know, the time off is amazing or whatever it may be. Um, I, I always, it always has me pause a little bit and wonder what is life like at home that you would stay in a job that you don't love just for those, you know, somewhat intangible things. Now, if it's pay, and you've got massive bills to pay and things like that. I get it. I understand why. Um, but that sort of speaks to the heart of the lifestyle design for me is I think that people have have built a lifestyle that they can only afford through a high paying W-2. Mm -hmm. And instead, if they really want freedom and flexibility, they could they could get there. But it does require a little bit different mindset, a little bit different structuring of your finances, you know, on a monthly basis. Uh, to get there. That may take a few months or years to get to, but I think if we're all on that path and of that mindset, retirement's a certainty. It's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And right now, I don't think you can say that with most people. You brought up a lot of good points. I just posted something yesterday that talks about what the average net worth was, and there's an average and there's the median yep. uh, that's put out by the um, the reserve banks and 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 they do studies on that. And, uh, oh, I took some notes because I kind of wanted to cover some of that today. So for 50-year-old like myself, I really don't care too much about the income. I really want to take a look at the net worth because it really isn't yeah. how much you make. It's how much you save and invest. That's really yes, important. Totally. So the median net worth uh, for 50 to 60-year-olds is $178,000 which is a number you cannot retire on. Holy cow. Uh, the top 25% is 566,000, which is good. Most of that might be probably someone's house, right? House, right, totally house. equity. Yep. Top 10% top is 1.8 million. 
and top 1% is 17 million. So, you know, obviously exponentially grows, but yeah. when you take a look at that, I, I worry that when they talk about the net worth for someone in their fifties yeah. is under $200,000, that's just not enough money to no. start looking at retirement. And, you know, I go back to my high school when we were sitting there and the counselors are talking about what's your career path, what are you going to do? And I says, well, I'm going to college and I picked electrical engineering, which engineering and electrical engineering in particular is right there at the very top, usually within the top five or six of income yeah, brackets, right, right. right? So I said, well, I'm going to become an electrical engineer. And I knew I was going to the military because I wanted to do aviation, maybe be a pilot, F-18 pilot, all that fun stuff with Top Gun, <laughs> you know? And, and I thought, and of course the guidance counselor was like, Hey, those are all great plans. I think people pick, pick, you know, do what they, you do what you love, but then there's a price. There's a, how much money does that make? Right. And then, and then you have to adjust your lifestyle based on that money. So yep. I, I have a philosophy that you first need to pick your lifestyle and then figure out what occupation will get you to that lifestyle. Yes. And, 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 and then do that and, and make sure it's something that you don't hate. Um, but, but you, you want to pick your lifestyle first, not, not, okay, I'm going to be, um, not to pick on any particular career. I'll just pick on me as an engineer. I'm going to yeah. be an, I'm going to be an engineer and be in a cubicle and just write code, which is what I didn't want to do. And then, yeah. oh, by the way, how much money does that make? And oh, by the way, what's your retirement plan and how much vacation do I get? Right. And, you know, and that, that whole process to me, I think it's, it's broken. It's, it's, that's why I love the entrepreneurial mindset yeah. where really what happens is you drop the floor out, but then the ceiling's unlimited. Um, there, you know, you're, you bring up a really good point, Jeff. There was a group that I used to speak to that was, um, it was a law fraternity. Uh, and I, and I think they, they mainly dealt with pre-law students. And I remember, I was at an event and a, a, a student came up to me and said, I really, I have to thank you. And I said, for what? And he goes, I shouldn't be here. And I, and immediately my thought was they're going to fire me. There's no way they're going to ask me back when they realize this. And the director to his credit said, Adam, that's awesome. We don't, we don't want these kids to get $200,000 deep in student loan debt and then realize they never wanted to be an attorney in the first place. And so when I asked this kid, well, what is it you want to do? He goes, I want to be an actor. I've always wanted to be an actor. And I said, well, there's definitely a path for that. Um, and it's probably, it's going to be a slog, right? For a while, but if you're committed to it, go do it. Um, and, and, you know, take the attorney example, take doctors, take, you know, any, any number of people, PhD candidates for that matter, that want to be professors in college. I can't tell you how many professors have said to me, well, I have a PhD, but I have the debt to show for it. And they don't feel like, I mean, they're doing what they love to do, I, I assume, but it also feels like they have, you know, created a lifestyle based on this debt load that, that is going to take them forever to pay off. Yes. Yes. You, you also mentioned legacy. And yeah. to me, that's a big burn topic too. I'm totally yeah. doing all of this for legacy because regardless of how much money my family might inherit after I'm gone, these videos and these podcasts and all of this content is going to be available to them yep. for generations, for grandchildren, whatever it may be. And I, I mean, I listen to, you know, are you familiar with Earl Nightingale? Of course. 
Yeah, I mean, he's from the 1950s. And and Earl Nightingale's material is just as relevant today as it was back then. Absolutely. The only reason you would know that it's from the 1950s is when you listen to his audios, he says, okay, now flip the record over from side A to side B. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. All of his, uh, otherwise, would you sit there and listen to it? It's like this advice is just as valuable today. 100%. As it is there. Yep. And, and it's because it's just, it's timeless advice, regardless of what the vehicle is. Agreed. Agreed. And that's why I love real estate is because it's a timeless asset, hard asset that isn't going to change. I mean, there's things coming down the line, like tokenization of real estate, things like that, that are going to fundamentally change things. Yep. But, but I, I talk about it all the time. I can pull the abstract out on a property and look at the abstract and I can go back to 1835 in Dubuque, which is the oldest city in the state of Iowa. And before that, it was the Louisiana Purchase. I mean, you know, we were you, 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 we're going back on who's owned this property since basically the you know 1830s. And you know, and, your out of state listeners are like, "What's an abstract?" I what's think an we're abstract? The only state or the only state that still has those gigantic documents. Yeah, yeah, I get it, but you know, that's security in my book, and yeah. and, and, and compared to compared to cryptocurrencies or the what but that these are whole nother discussions that we're getting off topic. Yes. Let's talk about so you develop is it called the shred method? The shred method. Talk to me about that. Uh well I owned I owned a uh, mortgage company from 2005 till almost 2010 and you know which seemed like great timing right in the pit of the subprime mortgage crisis. But I, I was running a business that our goal was to put people in a better position financially when they were done with us than when they started with us. So we, we were effectively refinancing people's finances, if you will, you know, lowering their debt load, lowering their payments, uh, attempting to get more in savings, more in discretionary income and teach them the strategies to, to build wealth. And one of my loan officers came to me and said, I found this, this software. I think we really need to look at this. And I'd been doing a ton of research into an idea known as an Australian mortgage. And in Australia, there was a bank that had something uh, they offered called a sweep account. And the sweep account was basically all of your income would go into the sweep account. You would pay all your bills out of the sweep account, but it was effectively almost like a line of credit. So you could deploy some of that line against your mortgage. And I, I found out that a, a a number, a high percentage of people in Australia don't own money on their property because of these Australian mortgages. And so I started really digging into it. Um, we had branded it one way. It pivoted to the shred method because um, it's more than just, you know, what some people call this is velocity banking, but it's more than velocity banking. We're teaching people how to unlock the equity in their home and turn that into an investment vehicle that allows them to create massive, passive, permanent streams of income. And specifically to do investments like you're doing, to do syndications and to go into uh, pieces of real estate that you may not have an opportunity to do otherwise. And certainly different investments than a $500 a month dollar cost average into a, you know, an S&P 500 index. Um, and so the shred method itself is, it's a mindset, it's a strategy, uh, but it's powered by a piece of software 
that is based on a complex algorithm that makes your income as efficient as humanly possible. Gotcha. So you're, you're teaching to get out of debt, get your house paid off. Um, and it's interesting because go ahead. Yes. And no, it's, it's for some people it's, I want to blast away all my debt. And for those folks, we have an answer for that. And the ones who say, no, I, I want to use OPM. You know, I want to use other people's money. This is the cheapest money I'll ever get. What we'll often tell them is, I agree. Hey, if you're at two, eight, seven, five or three and a half, or right now, four and a half is probably considered low. Congratulations. That's awesome. But through the shred method, we can get your effective APR down to like 0.5 to, to 1.5. No, you know, even if you're at six and a half, we can get it down that low. Um, but it may not be to pay it completely off. Maybe we pay it down to half of what you owe, but you've got access to the other half through a line of credit. And then we do some creative strategies like recasting your mortgage, which lowers your monthly payment. And when we start doing that on rental real estate on an ongoing basis, now what you're going to do is you're going to juice your cap rate. You're going to create more cash flow on every property and your tenants, more of your tenants' money is going to pay more of your tenants' rent is going to pay the mortgage off as opposed to pay the lender's Lexus payment. Right. So, so there's a number of strategies for this that make it really enticing for people. Um, but it does require, and I have to say this, it's not a silver bullet. If somebody's got a spending problem, you know, you can't borrow your way out of a spending problem. This is really for people who have more money at the end of their month, not more month at the end of their money. Right. Right. Yeah, I love how we've kind of like moved this towards a real estate discussion and it didn't yeah. have to be, this is supposed to be a, a <laughs> mindset, but um, <laughs> that's just the way it turns out. Uh, I, I guess one of the things that concerns me is that people are more passive in their investments and they're not active. They don't, they yeah. don't take an active role because I think they're, you know, they're, if they are a W-2 wage earner and they have a job, yeah. Um, a lot of employers don't allow people to have second jobs and do things outside of right. their business. They do want to right. just focus on that. And, yep. and again, and again, if that's, if that's, if that's your bread and butter and you're making in, in a lot of my investors are high income yep. earners. Um, and a few of them actually have to take anxiety meds because their work is so stressful. So <laughs> I hear I, I hear that from time to time. And, and, and I got a lot of people that maybe have a lot of stock in their employer's stock and they yeah. want to diversify. So they want to get into real estate for diversification. But yeah. their whole idea is, is they're not actively involved right. in their retirement. They're not right. directing their, you know, they're just kind of like putting plug and play and putting their money into the 401ks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the documentary I watched yesterday on Netflix was talking about how the fees kind of erode that. And, and so it doesn't surprise me when you take a look at those numbers on what the median net worth is on somebody of 50 years of age, and it's way below where it needs to be. Well, and I, I would, I would add to that, Jeff, that there is statistic, uh, statistical evidence to prove that when a 401k has more options, there's less participation because people feel like, yeah. oh gosh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And uh, am I in the right? I'm just going to, they effectively succumb to status quo bias, which is when faced with the option of doing something or doing nothing, they do nothing. And so if you've got one choice in your 401k, 
once again, you're not an active, necessarily an active investor. You're just plunking it down, hoping and praying that that 401k is invested in the right vehicles. Um, and then the other point of that, that, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but if, if all of your, your investable assets are in qualified investments, then you really are illiquid. You can access it between 59 and a half and 70 and a half. And that's the only time you can truly access that money without there either being a penalty or you having to take a required minimum distribution. So for the folks out there that are listening that, you know, like there's gotta be a different way there, there truly is, but it does require you to think differently about your home as an investment, about real estate being risky, which you know the answer to this, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. oh. and, and I find it really humorous when people say, I don't know, invest in real estate is so risky. <laughs> like it, half of these syndicators I know have made all their money at the closing table when they bought the property, not when they sell the property. So yeah. there's, there's ways around that, right? We just have to, we have to get better educated, have to become students of money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need to become students and, and, and you kind of talk about how there's groupthink going on where they're just, or it gets too complicated and not only from a retirement standpoint, but also from a taxes standpoint, yes. people, people need to learn. And, and unfortunately for the typical W2 employee, there's not much they can do with their taxes. Right. You know? Um, so I just did a presentation on the history of taxation. And of course we were founded Boston tea party and the low taxes and then taxes really started to kick in when the government started to have all of these conflicts internationally, yeah. AKA wars, and they had to pay for them. So during World War One and World War II, the Great Depression, uh, FDR's Great New Deal, all these things, taxes started to come in. And then they figured out, well, hey, instead of you guys reporting the taxes, why don't we just have your employer collect the taxes and just give it right to us? We're gonna take it out of your check and you're not even gonna see it. Yeah. And then, and then now the government wants to get rid of cash and go to a digital dollar because it's right. a lot more convenient and easier to track everything with that piece of plastic that you just swipe and spend. Totally. Um, so there's this whole, so taxes, again, going back to my first point, taxes are your biggest, biggest expense. Yeah. They're silent partner. And, and the way I have become wealthy is through reducing my taxes through real estate investments. Yeah. And, and, but in order to do that, you have to be actively involved. You have to, you know, learn about it. You have to become a student of that. So that's why, again, student of money, you really want to be a student of all of this and not leave it up to an investment advisor. Who's just going to sell you, um, that 401k or, or yeah. whatever it may be that uh, annuity or whatever the, whatever the, the, they're, they're getting their commissions on. So um, if you don't learn to grow your wealth, it's not going to happen. And someone else is going to do that. You know, if you can't manage your time, someone else is going to manage your time for you uh, through a job and, and all of these things. So you learn, need to learn to really be active. Um, and, and the advantage with syndications and things that I do is, you can partner with someone that can kind of take over that, but um, you know we do some handholding and things of that sort. So yeah, it, it's awesome that you know you developed a system to help people with uh, not only paying down their debt, but then also taking a look at now what do we need to do from an investment standpoint? What do we, yeah. we want to do with this money? 
and take a look at it. Uh, I always say, you know, with the exit in mind, right? You want to take a look at, just like when I sit down with a financial advisor, how old are you? How do you want to live? How much money? I mean, I've got this compounding returns chart that's got all the numbers on how much you have to save each month to get to a million dollars and all that fun stuff. It's not rocket science. That's the cool thing. It is. Uh, it's it is. just, they, people just don't focus on it. You, you had made a comment I want to touch on really quick, which is the, the greatest expense we have are taxes. And the second, second greatest expense for most consumers is the interest expense on debt. And if they're not, if they are focused on both of those and, and reducing or removing them, it's amazing how fast wealth can grow. But if someone is not paying attention, uh, we, we tend to look at this thing called your interest to income ratio which is based on how much income you have, how much of that income goes away every year in interest expense. And so for your listeners, if they go look at their mortgage statement and their car loan statement, student loan statement, credit card statement, and you figure out on a monthly basis, how much is actually going to principal, that would be your wealth building and how much is going to interest, that's building the profit column of your banker or your lender. Um, I've, we've met people, clients of the shred method that have interest income ratios at like the 40% mark, meaning you make a hundred grand, 40 grand goes out the door in interest expense. Another 30 goes out in taxes. So of a hundred grand, you're actually making $30,000 a year if you're not careful. And um, so our goal is to help just shine a light on that for folks. And, and even if we can increase their, their income or decrease their income to in, in, income to interest ratio or increase the amount that they're able to put away to their net worth by 12 or 15 or 20 grand a year, it makes a massive difference in, in short order. Um, so it's, I think it's important to note that, that you've got taxes and you've got the interest expense on debt as two great expenses. Yes. Um, I just read an article this morning, how most people, if there's a percentage paying a thousand dollars a month for their vehicle, because the vehicle loans have all pretty much, the interest rates have all doubled uh, yeah. for vehicles. And, and for me as a landlord, they were particularly, they were talking about they're paying more per month for their car than they are for their one bedroom apartment. <laughs> so, and, and I get that all the time. It's like, okay, people need to pay rent. Are they going to pay rent? Or are they going to pay their cell phone bill? Are they going to pay their car payment or they have to get their car fixed so that they can go to work. I get that a lot too. Yes. I had to pay the mechanic to fix my car because I need my car to go to work to yes. pay the to pay the rent. So I gave my money and I'm like, oh, you don't want a roof over your head. That's what I'm, you know. So Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I am very purposeful. Uh, like, you know, I've signed up with Credit Karma. I track my FICO. I yeah. I engineer my FICO score. It's not a random number. Yeah, I totally right, I right. totally know what goes into the FICO. Yeah. And, and, and I totally will play the game of money on how to maximize that FICO so that I do get the best interest rates. And, and, and I look at my books monthly and definitely quarterly and definitely every year and and make decisions based on the numbers. Yeah. And just as we you know, should, right? As you should. You should run and and you, you know, you are the CEO of your household income yep. and the C and the CFO. And and the CFO needs to make those financial decisions. Uh, so if you don't keep your eye on it, it will get away from you. So we tend to whatever we focus on is what we pay attention to. 
you, so, you had mentioned uh, Earl Nightingale and yeah. The Strangest Secret, right? That was yes. one of his earliest recordings. And yes. The Strangest Secret was we become what we think about most of the time. Uh, the joke there, my dad always said, well, if that were true, Adam, by the time you'd have been 15, you were 15, you'd have been an 18 year old girl. Right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it, it reminds me of think and grow rich, which was, they were about of the same time era. Uh, Napoleon Hill wrote his seminal work, think and grow rich in the 1930s, I believe. Right. And, and, uh, there was a statement in the book that I actually have on my wall. Look at that one of the original <laughs> copies. There we go. Um, uh, uh. And my uh, this statement in the from the book has been kind of my guiding light. But it said, "The def having definiteness of purpose for acquiring wealth is essential for its acquisition." And what I always took that to mean was you have to have one hundred percent focus and intention on building wealth in order to build wealth because it's far too easy to build a lifestyle that eats up all your money and never allows you to build wealth. So to your point about tracking expenses and knowing there's money left over, it, it kind of boggles my mind when, you know, folks say, well, I, I'm not really sure how much I make and how much I spend. I don't know if they're, you know, I couldn't tell you the exact numbers and I, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but I could tell you that what I make and what I spend, there is a market percentage difference because I know that that percentage difference every month is actually wealth building ability. And, and that, that is, uh, my definiteness of purpose is making sure that we're spending far less than we make every month and then putting that to work for us to make more. Yes. Uh, I, I want to, I want to move to your Ted talks. Yeah. Uh, cause we haven't talked about, <clears throat> we haven't talked about those, excuse me. And that's how I actually found you is through one of your Ted talks. And uh, you had one of them that went pretty viral. And I think it's at 7 million views now, I think. Um, yeah, it's but darn you, close, if not there. You talked about an experiment that you did with your kids. Tell us about that. I think that was interesting. Well, I, I, um, we're a game-playing family. Let me start there. We, we love to play ball games, dice games, board games, card games. But my kids were uh, huge Monopoly fans back in the day. And I remember the games would be four to eight hours long. And after a while, I don't think anyone ever won. I think people just gave up because the game lasted too long. And I was watching my children play one Saturday and they were buying each other out of jail and they were loaning each other money to buy car, buy, buy properties. And I thought, okay, first of all, this is why these games are eight hours long. Secondly, um, maybe this is part of the problem. Now, them being nice to one another was not part of the problem. The problem was the money isn't real. And what I was noticing among college students was that they'd be 18 to 24 years old and they had never made a financial decision on their own. It was still really their parents that were largely making the decisions. And at that point in time, they were either living on a credit card or just swiping things on their U-bill at school. And, you know, as a parent, Jeff, you know this, it's called the U bill because you see it, your kids don't see it. And <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so, so, you know, I started going, maybe these kids need to handle real money and get a firm grasp on money before they're actually thrown to the world where money isn't real. And so my, my hypothesis was if we played a game of monopoly with real cash on the table, that they would play differently. They'd be more conservative. The game would go faster, et cetera. So I added up quickly how much it would take 
to fund a game of Monopoly and every person gets $1,500 in starter capital. And I figured the bank needed about $2,500. And so I went to my credit union on a Friday and I said, I need $9,990 in all these denominations of bills. Um, and you know why 9,990, yeah. right? Cause you have to fill out a form if it's $10,000, yeah. it gets yeah, reported. I'm, yeah. That's a whole nother yeah, discussion. Want, yes. I wanted to stay away from the IRS on that deal. Uh, all, all the people at the credit union were like, thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so I pull out 9,990, uh, go back home, set up the table Sunday morning. We play uh, a high stakes game of monopoly. Uh, the winner did not take all the winner took $20, but what was interesting was my kids played much more conservatively. They, they were counting how much money they had. They were looking at the spaces ahead, trying to figure out how much they would owe. And in the end, when we did the debrief, they gave, they, they were saying all the right things. You know, they were saying, wow, at one point I was house rich and cash poor. And one said, you know, when you buy smaller homes, you or, or cheaper properties, you can lever up on homes and hotels faster. And, you know, all these things are great lessons to learn. <laughs> So I, that was the talk. I, I shared my results and lo and behold, it struck a nerve because it's got, you know, 6 million plus views. Yeah. As soon as you start playing with real money or put money down, you are now vested and you are going to start to track it, follow it. I did that with Bitcoin. I first saw it at $800. My son actually told me about it in college because his roommate was gambling with Bitcoin over the internet. <laughs> and he's like, dad, you need to look into this. Is this for real? And, and then, uh, you know, so I started buying it when it was at 2000 and, uh, you know, so as soon as you put money in the game, you all of a sudden now get much more educated on it. And it gets and very real. It gets very real. Very and, real. And, and, and so, yeah. And, and obviously games, if you're familiar with the cone of learning from back in the 60s too, yeah. uh, playing games is one of the best ways to learn versus setting in a lecture hall versus yes. taking notes or listening to an audio. Yes. Um, so because right after playing the games, you move on to doing it for real or a simulation. So a game yeah. is a simulation essentially. So totally. right after the game, you make it real and go out and do it for real. Yeah. And, and, and then you learn so much more. And then the next step after doing it for real is you then coach it to others. And by coaching, you then have to learn even more and become more knowledgeable in it. So by coaching and mentoring other people, you immerse yourself into it and become much better at it yourself as well. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's a perfect example where, yeah, we're using monopoly money and then we're going to us dollars, which is still a fiat currency backed yep. by the full faith of the United States, but it's no longer backed by gold. And then, uh, yeah. So from there, you then make the next step into doing it in real life. Because like you said, the winner of that game only got 20 bucks. <laughs> The rest and at the time, they were very excited about that, though. I think they were more excited about, I think my son had $6,800 in cash or something at the end, and it was more money than he'd ever held in his life. Um, but you you bring up a good point. The, the idea of this, first of all, I think this was one of the trigger points and why the talk went viral, was I had so many people comment about the US dollars fiat currency. It's all fake money anyway, blah, blah, blah. But but an interesting stat is that when 
when you hand over a 50 or $100 bill, there is actually part of your brain that fires that is a pain sensor. And yet when you hit $47 one click ship on Amazon, it's a pleasure sensor that goes off in your brain because there's positive anticipation of you getting the thing in the mail or on your doorstep. Um, so, so that whole idea of holding tangible money and actually exchanging, it's part of the reason that Ramsey, Dave Ramsey was all about the envelope method was yeah. as people are handing over dollars, like, oh gosh, this is dwindling. Right? I have nothing in my envelope um, versus a credit card. There's, there's also a, a study done that said that people who use plastic spend 17% more on plastic than they would if they didn't. Um, I think that was that survey was done at McDonald's um, where they just watched people for like 10 hours and everyone who used a credit card was spending more. So yeah, we, you know, these are all things I think for people who are trying to shift their behavior, it's just understanding mm -hmm. how our minds work around the perspection, the, the perceptive perception and perspective of money. Yeah, it's definitely more painful when you get, that's why you don't get paid in cash. You don't even get a check anymore. It's all automatic withdrawal, automatic deposit. You got plastic, you have debit cards. Like you said, you spend more. And then now the point of sales, my my wife and my mother-in-law went to a Hawkeye game, a Carver Hawkeye, and she went to go get popcorn at the concession stand. They wouldn't take cash. You had to do a swipe. And yeah. one, one is to expedite it to get people through faster. But yep. the other one is is they they can it's, – it's so much easier. You spend the money more freely, and then a lot of the restaurants – the automatically throw the tip in. And sometimes yeah. unless you really dive, you don't even know. And so a lot true. of you double tip. You you they they yeah. they put a tip on there and then you turn around and write on a tip without even looking at it. Yep. And they're starting out at typically 18%, 20%, 25% tips. Um uh, so you know that's just it's so easy and it's so automatic that this money goes out. And and again, this is why you have to be looking out for yourself because no one's going to do it. And the yeah. whole thing with, you know, there are no pensions anymore. It's right. not a defined benefit anymore. It's now a defined contribution through a 401k. And the 401k yeah. was never set up to, to be a retirement account for you to retire on. Right. And social security, we've all know about that. So it's, it's these issues where you really have to take your own money management in-house and you can have trusted advisors but trust, but verify, but, you know, so you don't have to sit there and have to manage your own money, but you need to know enough about what's going on to be educated. And again, yeah. be a student of it so that, um, you know, when you turn my age 50, 53, you don't look back and say, I've only got 180,000 in my retirement account. That isn't going to be enough. It's so frightening. Yeah. What, what is a person to do? I mean, I, I've had conversations with folks, even in their late sixties, early seventies, who will say, I may have to go back and get gainful employment again. Yeah. They're concerned now that that they will outlive their money, which is right. a terrifying proposition. It, it is. It is. And I know quite a few people that have retired and within five years, they're gone. Um, and, and that's not my plan. So um, I've got three, four more years. And when my wife retires, we're probably going to check, check out and be done in my fifties. Um, so, it's yeah again what do you do and what what i what what tend, tends to happen is people say oh i'm behind they start taking more risk and then they right. end up losing the little amount that they have right because they aren't educated about money 
And I just had this argument online, which I know is probably a bad thing to do when they were talking about the, did you see the, the lottery winner that just won $2 billion in the uh, lottery bought a $25 million home in, Flo- in California. Yes. I did and see I, this. I'd posted on there. He's going to be broke within 10 years. And of course they're all like, Oh, but that's so much money. You can never spend that. You need to go out and look at the statistics on how many people win the lottery, yeah. regardless of the amount of money, because they just they just buy bigger. If yeah. he's buying a $25 million mansion in California, they got to maintain it. Guess what yeah. kind of car he's probably driving? Guess yeah. what kind of boat he's going to buy? Guess how many family members are going to come to him and say, well, you bought a house. I want a house too. And, and then And then how many how many bad investments are they going to get into? Cause yeah. they're going to get slammed with solicitations for money. Totally. And, and if you're not savvy, you're going to, you know, a Larry Madoff's going to come along and it's going to be gone. It happens to NFL quarterbacks. It happens to a lister actors. Yeah. It'll happen to this guy. I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm wrong. Yep. And time will tell what he, what really happens but you you got a you know it's 330 million odds of winning in the lottery oh, right it's over 300 something over the population of the United States my the system that i'm on the the the, the it's 100% if you do it you're going to get there you yeah. know you yeah. can you can be in that top 5 10% totally uh it's and it's just it's just Plus, it's just addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. This isn't calculus. Yeah. This isn't difficult. You just put the time in and you put the work in and, and it will, you know, there's a book out there called Equity Happens from the Real Estate Guys radio show. And it just does. Yeah, equity happens. It's just magic. So. That's awesome. <laughs> I saw, subject to your, your conversation about NFL and NBA athletes, I saw something recently that said Dennis Rodman has like $400,000 to his name. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a guy who made tens of millions of dollars for how many years? Yeah. Lisa Marie Presley had, when she passed away, very little money. Hmm. She was living basically on, she, she, all of her inheritance was essentially gone and they ended up selling all of their rights to Elvis's music. Well, I think way back when, uh, Michael Jackson might have bought it or somewhere, yeah. but you know, all of the rights to all that music and all those dividends that was liquidated in cash, wow. you know, the state of Arizona uh, sold their state capital and rents it back because they needed cash. And you're starting to see this at the state levels where the states are getting short on money and the states are turning around and selling their capital buildings and the land underneath it. Can you imagine? And then doing a hundred year lease back to pay the investors their return because they need the 30 million or whatever it is today to pay a bill. And and imagine, I would love to be the guy who's like, yeah, I, I actually own the Capitol building in Des Moines. I have totally thought about it. I mean, what better, <laughs> what better way, you know, uh, West Elm Mall here in Cedar Rapids uh, used to be owned by TIAA Craft, which is a yeah. uh, retirement for, sure. uh, for academics. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For academics and stuff. So, you know, and that's what happens with insurance company money. When you pay your premiums to the insurance company, they turn around and reinvest that. It's not, so a, it's, you know, that's why Geico was bought by Warren Buffett and Berkshire yeah. Hathaway is they want access to your payments so they can turn around and invest that money and get a return yeah. 
and typically what they invest in is yeah, real estates and deals and all of that stuff. So you got to learn the game. You got to learn to play the game. And, and if you totally don't want to do it, then you need to find someone that you can know, like, and trust and, and uh, verify please too. Um, yeah. And uh, but, you know, spend the time. I thought when we were talking about uh, your biggest expense, I thought you were going to maybe bring up that investing in yourself is your best investment. Mm. I 100% agree with that. I mean, when people say, well, what would you invest in when they're particularly young people? If I'm on a college campus and somebody comes up, well, where would you put your money? What I'll often tell them is, listen, if you're asking for an investment, what I would tell you is the best investment would be in yourself. Go buy, if you've got 500 bucks to put down somewhere, go either buy $500 worth of books on financial literacy and read them or start a business or do something that allows you to leverage your own skill set. Because you are your greatest investment. I, I 100% agree with you. Yes, invest with yourself and then find a mentor. And the mentor, you don't have to be in the same town, know them or just just you know, just follow them. I've got probably 20 different mentors that I follow and and uh, listen to and, and, and pay for their advice. And, uh, and I have a team of advisors around me, attorneys, CPAs. I've got a mindset coach. I've got all yeah. of these people that are part of my inner circle that are basically constantly, you know, I'm the C student. And I think you've probably heard it before, you know, go hire the A students yeah. to help the C student. Totally. So in totally. college, it's called cheating. In life, it's called, you know, coaching smart. or something, coaching, right? yeah. <laughs> by paying it's, consultants to do your work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but we're, we're heading up on about an hour here, so I don't want to monopolize your time, but we, I feel like we've covered like just to scratch the surface of this 10,000 foot view. Um, you know, is there, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered? Um, you know, I, I, this whole idea of mindset and um, the idea of mindset for me is one that I, I love to talk about, honestly, Jeff, because there are folks out there who will, will look at something as risky because some member of their family failed in it. And that is more of a mindset thing than it is uh, an indictment of your ability to succeed or fail at it. Um, so what I, what I often tell young people, you know, young people, students, and young professionals is there is a difference between something being risky and you taking a calculated risk. And, and a, from a mindset perspective, one of the things that I've really done is I've tried to figure out what is a good calculated risk I can take that has a very high percentage of likelihood of working out. And I move towards those things, but I stay away from risky, uh, risky investments or riskier things. So for me, if I know you and I get to know you and I know your syndications, I see your track record, all of that, that's a calculated risk for me. I'd drop a hundred grand in a syndication with you and know that it's it's going to generate cash flow. I'm going to have an IRR. I'm going to get some return on it. Um, if I'm and and you know, for those who maybe are uninitiated, if you're just going out and buying Bitcoin or you're buying Disney stock or you're buying whatever because you think it's going up, you're speculating. And, and, you know, Bitcoin may be a different animal when you're buying it at two grand or 800 bucks. But today, the people who are playing around with that, like it, it truly is a speculation today. Um, but a deal like a real estate investment, it is a calculated risk. And we can bet on calculated risks because we can figure out how to mitigate most of the risk before we ever get into it. Um, so 
you know, back to your original question, is there anything else? I want to make sure people's mindset is right. And we got to challenge some of the narrative that we're getting from family members who just candidly had a crappy mindset to begin with. And that's why they failed because they were, they were going into risky investments and not taking calculated risks. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, they talk about you're the average of the five people you hang around with. And um, I still have all my friend networks and all of that, but I also make sure I get around successful people and talk to people like you that have same mindsets. And, uh, you know, I don't ask my cousin Bob or somebody like that on what do they think about this? Cause, uh, you know, <laughs> you know what they say about free advice. Yeah, um, and that's right. yeah, so, so it's, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it takes some time. I kind of, um, you know, as I'm coaching and mentoring people, uh, in my programs, I have to remember that where they're at and, um, and, and you gotta, you gotta grow into that person that you want to be. Mm. So Larry Wingett, if he's another author, you know, yeah. you're broke because you want to be yep. talks about just becoming comfortable and settling into that comfort zone. Yep. And, and sometimes pain is a bigger motivator than your, than your dreams and goals and what you want totally. to do. Pain totally. could be something of why you want to get out of this and switch to, but yep. he says, you know, you are exactly in life where you want to be because this is where you're at. This is yep. your efforts up to this point have gotten you to this point. Yep. And, and, you know, in order to move beyond this, you have to grow into that and you have yeah. to change. You have to have personal development, why, which is why it's a big hot topic in mind and mindset, yeah. because it's not about, you know, anybody can learn the, the mechanics of behind, yeah. behind something, but you really want to figure out is the mindset behind something and to be uh, a raving fan of that and to be fully committed on, on what that is. So, to, you know, to get, to get where you are though, it, and, and this is a positive, not a negative. It required you get out of your comfort zone Yeah, and you had to be uncomfortable at some point. And I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I said, you know, I think most people are, they are comfortably unhappy instead of being uncomfortably happy. Yeah. And, and that comfort level of, well, it's good enough. And I, you know, I, I'm doing fine. I'm putting enough away. That is the pit of complacency. Yeah. And I think you have to get out of the pit of complacency, but to get there, you have to push yourself into some level of discomfort, which may mean working harder or studying more or, you know, putting uh, money into something that, that you've researched and, and learned about and want to get into. You got to take that step. And as uncomfortable as it is, it probably will lead to greater happiness when you know that you've, you've tested those waters. Exactly. All right. All right. I think that's a good place that we should probably stop and uh, maybe pick up on this down the road. Hopefully I can have you back on sometime in the near future. And then, um, you know, tell us, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, how to find out about the, the shred method and et cetera. Yeah. So best way to get in touch with me is um, you can find me on Instagram, adam.carol, two R's, two L's. Um, and if you're interested in hearing about the shred method, theshredmethod.com is our website. We have a, an evergreen masterclass you can take that will tell you everything you need to know about how this works. Um, and then we have the opportunity to book 20 minutes with my team, which I have some amazing coaches on my team. We'll kind of walk you through the process. 
Um, but the shredmethod.com would be the best place for that, Jeff. And we, we love having the conversation with people just to help them create freedom in their lives. Outstanding. And you've got books. Um, is your documentary out there on Netflix or is it YouTube or how do it, we it's available on iTunes? You can go to Apple iTunes and 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 download it or rent it there. It is um at brokebusteddisgusted.com. So if you go to brokebusteddisgusted.com, you can either buy or rent the video uh right from there. And um, yeah, people are watching it. Yeah, you know, we've got it's show, being shown in high schools and colleges all across the country. Uh, families to this day will call and say, man, I can't believe the conversation we had after watching your, your doc. It was super helpful. So yeah, if you've got kids that are teenagers or preteen, even have them watch it, it'll open their eyes to college costs. And go check out your build a bigger life podcast and definitely go out and take a look at your podcasts or the TEDx uh, videos there. Um, that's how I found you. And it immediately sucked me in on your story. And I thought it was <laughs> awesome. So Adam, Adam Carroll, thanks for coming on the Student of Money podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, Jeff, thank, thank you for having me. It's been an awesome time with you and, and uh, hopefully I can come back for round two. You bet, you bet. Thank you very much and we'll talk to you later. Take care. So, wow, that was a great interview. You can clearly tell that Adam and me are like-minded. You really need to go out and listen to his podcast, Build a Bigger Life. And go check him out on his website and check out the Shred Method. Because now more than ever, you need to be a student of money. All right, guys, that's all the time we've got for this week. You know, do me a favor and hit the button on YouTube, like and subscribe. And leave me some comments because it really helps the YouTube algorithm get my content in front of other people. And hopefully we can start changing some lives. And if you can, subscribe to my content and my website at www.studentofmoney.org. And always remember, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Now go take action. next week. Bye-bye.